Let me just share a life lesson with you. You ready for it? Potlucks are better than buffets. Every time. Potlucks are better than buffets. And, and, and you know, there's some good buffets out there. Mandarin's good. I used to go to Luby's when I was a kid in West Texas. I don't know if you guys had Luby's here, but what kind, of, what kind of name for a restaurant is Luby's, by the way? But that literally was the name of the restaurant. And they were a buffet. And they are, right? I mean, they're tolerable. But potlucks are always better for any number of reasons. One is because when you come to a potluck, everybody brings their best dish. Do you ever, do you ever realize that? Like, when you come to a potluck, nobody's, like, trying out a recipe. You know, maybe, I, maybe this will be good. Maybe it won't be. But I'll just make it for other people and give it to them. No. No. They bring their best. I've got this one cake. I've got this one salad. I've got this one main dish. I am going to bring my best. And we do that little sign-up thing for potlucks. Somebody says, I'm going to sign up for a dessert. And say, no, we need somebody to bring a salad. They say, I'm not bringing a salad because I'm bringing this cake. And you will deal with it. If you want to have it in a salad course, that's fine. But I'm bringing a cake. Everybody always brings their best, and I love that. We, uh, you, ever been, you ever been to a, like a dinner, and like a plated dinner, and someone turns it into a potluck? Has that ever happened to you? Like everybody's got to bring something. So we, we do this thing as pastors here, pastors and spouses and, and kids. We get together every couple of months, and we have dinner at somebody's house, and we're doing this uh, last month, I think, and our family pastor, Andy Notice, actually turned it into a potluck. It was great uh, because we had people bring salads and desserts and little small things, and then Andy, because he's Jamaican descent, uh, shows up, uh, Ann Barry, uh, we're at Carmen's house, and she made this roast and potatoes and vegetables and all that stuff, and, and Andy shows up with an enormous uh, tray full foil on top of jerk chicken, like that's what you bring to someone's house for a plated dinner if you're Jamaican, apparently. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. That jerk chicken was fantastic, wasn't it? And it, you didn't make it. Your mom made it. That's right. Yeah, your mom sent it with you. So I had three pieces. I mean, it's fantastic because when it comes to a potluck, everybody brings their best. And here's the other thing about a potluck that I absolutely love. It, it moves us from consumption to contribution. It moves us from consuming and just being there to eat and partake and enjoy to, to being a contributor. And contribution is always better than consumption. You know, the funny thing is, Jesus actually tells us the exact same thing in Acts chapter 20. He tells us that it's better to give than to receive. For those of you who are Jeopardy fans, if there's ever a question on Jeopardy, where is Jesus quoted outside of the four Gospels? This is the only place right here. Acts chapter 20 is the only place. Paul is quoting Jesus, and it's the only place in the entire New Testament and in all of history where Jesus is quoted outside of the four Gospels. And he tells us it's better to give than to receive. What's he saying? Contribution is better than consumption. Potlucks are better than buffets. And you know that science tells us this? Science actually affirms this. Believe it or not, science is confirming the stuff that Jesus taught us 2,000 years ago. Science actually tells us, I was reading articles this week in the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Psychology Today, all over the place. Neurological research is telling us that when we are generous, when we are sacrificed, when, when we sacrifice, when we become contributors, when we give, it actually scratches that same part of the brain that gets scratched when you have sex or have a dessert. It's literally the exact same place. It releases dopamine and oxytocin, all kinds of things in your brain. Generosity literally makes you happier. Science tells us that. So for those of you who are on a diet and you really want a piece of cake, 
don't have cake, just write a big check, okay? It will scratch that same part of your brain. Literally, neurological research tells us this. Contribution is better than consumption. And listen, here's the thing. That contribution and not consumption was the hallmark of the early church. Contribution, not consumption, was the hallmark of the early church. It was the distinctive. It's what set them apart. It's what made them different than the world around them. I want to show you in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2 the two places where Luke describes how radically generous and sacrificial the early church was. And I want to tell you uh, what a historian says about it. Look what happens in Acts chapter 4. Luke says that there was not a needy person among them. That means among the church. No one had needs for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. So these are rich people because most people didn't own land back then. People who own lands or houses would have been wealthy. And they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now some people have taken this passage, inappropriately so, and said that, look, the early church, they, they, they argued for communal living, uh, communal ownership of property. That's not what ha- what's happening here. There are people who own lands and houses. There's private ownership, but they're giving of themselves sacrificially and generously so that no one in the congregation had need. And then Luke goes on to cite that one individual in particular, a guy named Joseph, that they called Barnabas, who sold a piece of land, brought it to the disciples' feet, and it was distributed to any who had need. Look what happens in Acts chapter 2, same thing. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Listen to what Rodney Stark, he's, he's a, uh, a historian, not, not necessarily a faith-based thing, just he's talking about the early church. And listen to what he says about Christianity in those early days of the Roman Empire. He says, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities. How'd they do it? Listen, to cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, a lot like Toronto, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fire, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. For what they brought was not simply an urban movement, but a new culture capable of making life in Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. And that new culture was marked by, distinguished by, radical generosity. With everything they had, money, time, skills, gifts, abilities, anything that they had, The early church was radically generous. And I would like for radical generosity and sacrificial contribution to be what Bayview Glen Church is known for as well. Just as the early church was known for radical generosity and sacrificial contribution, I would like for Bayview Glen Church to be known for the same. And here's the thing. I'm not shocked that I didn't get an amen just now. 
I'm not shocked that all of us didn't go, this is the greatest sermon I've ever heard. Why? Because of that one little word, sacrifice. We don't like the sacrifice, do we? Because we like our time. Introverts, I love you. I'm the same. We like to golf, and we like our hobbies, and we like the things that, you know, we like to go to brunch on Sundays. We like our time, and we like our money. And, and, to, and to think of sacrificing those things to not buy a $6 coffee. If you're buying a $6 coffee, you shouldn't be, like, go, don't go back to that place where they're selling coffee for $6, okay, at all. But, but we want those things in our life. We like our time and we like our money. And to think about being a sacrificial contributor to a community, to think about radical generosity, scares us a little bit. But I'm still going to call us to it because that's what the Bible calls us to. I'm going to call Bayview Glen to be the most generous and sacrificially contributing church in the entire greater Toronto area. This is what I want us to be known for. But here's the thing. I'm not going to use fear, guilt, or manipulation to do it. I know that's like the trinity of getting your way, right? Like, I'm going to fear you into it. I'm going to scare you into it. I'm going to make you feel guilty. Well, if you, if you don't give, the, the roof's not going to get fixed. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't serve, you know, we, we, got, we got 90 kids over in the children's ministry. And there's one person caring for them, and she's 90. So it's, it's bad. If you don't serve, you should feel guilty. No. No, I want to call us to sacrificial generosity in the exact same way that the early church was moved to sacrificial generosity. So let's look up here on the screen. I, I want to answer this question. Why was the early church so radically generous? The Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Then Luke tells us that they were radically generous that they contributed sacrificially. They, they had all things in common. People were selling their stuff and giving it to everyone. That's where that bit comes about sacrificial generosity in there. I've pulled it out just so you can see where it's sandwiched. And then verse 47, Luke says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being Saved. Here's the interesting part about what Luke says in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 about the radical generosity of the early church. He mentions it as a neutral statement of fact. He doesn't really comment about it. He doesn't really tell us why. He just says that they were contributors. They were not consumers, that they were radically and sacrificially generous. And so what we have to do is deduce from the passage, look at the passage and say, okay, why? What moved them? to being so sacrificial and radically generous? Was it fear, guilt, manipulation? No, indeed, it wasn't. Look at, what, look at what's happening here. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They ate with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and the Lord added to their number day by day. And, that, and it's in those two verses, in between those two verses, where this bit about sacrificial generosity is sandwiched. So here's what happens. When you take a biblical worldview, that's the apostles' teaching, scripture, and you add it to fellowship and breaking of bread, to being together in community and prayer, if you cultivate within yourself gratitude and contentment for what you have, and you're praising God for all that you have, and then God starts to move in a radical way, it propels us to be sacrificially generous. 
This has absolutely nothing to do with fear, guilt, or manipulation. It has everything to do with a radical shift in worldview. You take scripture and you add it to community, prayer, and gratitude, and you start watching God do amazing things. It compelled the early church to be radically generous because of a radical shift in worldview. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just simply walk us through that biblical worldview one piece at a time. Just one piece at a time. How did the early church, how did their worldview shift so radically that caused them to sacrifice all things in order to be generous to those in their community and those around them? So if you're jotting down notes, here's the first piece of their worldview that, that changed. God owns all things. God owns all things. We live in a culture of possession, don't we? We live in a culture of commodity. We live in a culture where people need and want and have and want to possess. This is the same culture as the Roman Empire. It was a culture of commodity. It was a culture of possession. But listen, the early church rejected that view. Why? Because the Bible, the apostles' teaching, which they were devoting themselves to, shifted their worldview. Look what the Bible has to say about all things. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But can we make this any more clear? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's another Bible translation that reads this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Look at what David says in Chronicles. He says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all, God. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house comes from your hand and is all your own. David's saying to God, we just built you a temple. But it wasn't even our stuff that we gave. It was your stuff to begin with. We just brought it to build you a house. It all comes from you. I love this one. Look at what God says to his people in Leviticus. This is a quote from God. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Every two-year-old's favorite word, mine, mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. You know what God is saying here? You're tenants here. You're renters here. <laughs> That's mine. Like I, I, have a, I have a house in Phoenix still. I mean, I still, still pay a mortgage on a house. We have renters in our house. Like, could you imagine if I showed up at my house and they had like, you know, punched a bunch of holes in the wall and painted the outside pink? Like, you're a renter. That house is mine. This isn't yours. You're a tenant here. You're a stranger and sojourner here. God says to his people, the earth is mine and everything in it. Do you guys like my tie this morning, by the way? You like it? Think it's nice? Think I look good? How about the pocket square? You think it's good? Matches? Yeah. Kaya got me this. Kaya got me this for my very first Father's Day. She was 10 months old. So this was her, she picked it out, she did a great job. And listen, here, here's the thing, when I opened this, my tie and pocket square, when I opened it up, I already knew I was getting something. You know why? Because it came out of my account. <laughs> like, she doesn't have her own stuff, she needs to get a J-O-B, like, she doesn't have anything to give me. So when I opened this up and I got a tie and pocket square for my very first Father's Day, I was not any richer than I was before. 
I wasn't rich at all, but that's beside the point. I wasn't any wealthier. I wasn't any better off because that wasn't her stuff that she gave to me. She used my stuff. In fact, in fact, technically, technically, I lost money on Father's Day <laughs> because she bought something for me with my money. You know, this is what God says to us. When we give of our time, when we give of our resources, when we give of our money, he's going, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. That's all mine anyway. C.S. Lewis calls this concept sixpence, none the richer. You may have heard that before. Like, he's not any better off. He's going, that's mine. And yet, and yet, God says, I have blessed you abundantly. I've gone above and beyond the call of duty. I have been extravagantly generous to you. You know that's the very heartbeat of God is generosity. Think of all of the things that God has given to us, even though he owns them. Even though he owns them, he's given them to us for a time to be managers and stewards of those things. I'll just, I'll just give you a couple. Genesis chapter 1. Remember, God creates all things, one, two, three, four, five, six days. And then he creates male and female, and he puts them in the garden, and he says, let them have what? Dominion. Control. He's like, it's like, you know, he got a brand new toy, and he's sharing it with male and female, men and women. Like, my kid wouldn't share a brand new toy with somebody else, and God's going, I am giving it to you to enjoy, to steward, to manage. I'm giving you dominion. God is a generous God. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he did what? Gave. His son, Romans chapter 1, says God gave us creation so that we could see his power and creative work. Ephesians 1 says God gave us status as children. Colossians 1 says he gave us the right to be called a co-heir with Christ. Romans 6 says he gave us eternal life. John 13 says he gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us his promises, his word, divine help, power to persevere. God even gave us potlucks. He invented those things, by the way. He has been radically above and beyond generous to us. He was under no compulsion or obligation. He just gave because that's his heart. Now, the early church knew this. That's why they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See, gratitude, contentment. So here's my question. If God owns all things, which he does, he created them, they're his, they belong to him, and he has so blessed us and gave to us, why has he given to us? Why has he blessed us? And the Bible affirms the answer to this question from tip to tail, from start to finish. And it begins with God's covenant with Abraham and continues all the way through. It actually begins with God's covenant to Adam, but we're going to pick out God's covenant to Abraham. And it continues all the way into the New Testament. Look at God's covenant with Abraham. God says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, this is before his name's changed, Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will say this word with me, bless you. Say this word with me, bless you, and make your name great. God says to Abraham, you don't even know where you're going, but I'm going to show you, and I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a nation great, and I'm going to bless your socks off. That's, again, my translation. I am going to bless you. So here's my question, why? Why? God tells Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. This is why I'm going to give you all these things. I'm not going to give you all these things for kicks and giggles. I'm not going to give you all these things for my health. I'm not going to give you all these things so people can record it for all time. Yeah, then they're going to do that. They're going to put it in there and all that stuff. I'm going to give you those things so that you will be a blessing. Here's what it comes down to. You are blessed so that you will be a blessing. You are 
blessed so that you will be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. God blessed you. God blessed me. He gave to you. He was generous to you so that you could do the same for others. You're not an owner. You're a manager. You're not a lake. You're a river. You're not a bowl. You're a funnel. Will you use any more metaphors? You are a conduit. God has blessed you so that you could bless others. This is affirmed all over the New Testament. I'm just going to run through a bunch. I don't have time to quote all of them, but listen. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Um, owner gives to managers, and he says, go steward those. Go be a blessing. Luke chapter 12, the par- parable of the faithful and wise manager. Luke, uh, Jesus affirms the same thing. 1 Peter 4.10, I love this one. This is really clear. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Not complicated. You've received a gift. Use it to serve somebody else. You are blessed to be a blessing as stewards of God's varied grace. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 9 actually says this, that God is able to increase your wealth. He's not obligated to. He may not, but he is able to. And if he does, he's doing that so you can give money to others. 2 Corinthians 9 actually says that. Ephesians 4 says that Jesus, when he died and was resurrected, he ascended on high to the right hand of the Father. And while he was ascending, he'd just given out gifts. He's just blessing people so that you could be a blessing. 1 Corinthians 6 says you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not even an owner of your own life. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus and in order to be a blessing. Ephesians 5, 16 says you were given time, so make the best use of it. You are a manager, a steward, not an owner of your time. Use it to be a blessing. I love this one, 1 Timothy 6. This is hilarious. Paul says to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, now, I know no one in this room is rich. I get that. It's always somebody else that's rich, right? But let me just put us in a category here for a minute. If you make over $50,000 a year as a household income, annual household income, you make more money than 2% of the global population. Than all, 98%. You make more money than all but 2% of the global population. If you've ever stood in front of a closet full of clothes and said either to yourself or out loud, I have nothing to wear, then this is you. If you've ever stood in line to buy an iPhone while you are texting your friends from your iPhone, (laughs) then this is you. So as for the rich in this present age, what? Charge them, command them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who does what? Richly provides us everything to enjoy. You see, you're blessed. And why were you blessed? It's the same thing you tell your kids all the time. Watch how simply Paul puts it to to Timothy. They are to what? Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Like this isn't even an easy translation of the Bible. This isn't like a message or something like this. this. This is a really literal translation. If you have stuff, it's because God gave you stuff. So do good, be rich in good works, be generous and share. That's why he gave it to you. You are blessed to be a blessing. God owns all things. He's graciously allowed us to manage some things so that we will bless others. So things, all things, are, commo- are not commodities to be possessed, but gifts to be stewards, to be, to be stewarded. We are stewards, managers, not owners. Nothing we have 
skills, talent, money, time, even our very selves, none of it. We own none of it. And is this not a radical shift in worldview? Is this not a radical change from the world that we see around us? Where all things are commodities to be bought and sold and purchased? Sex is a commodity. Time is a commodity. Like you can't get away from advertisements at all anymore. They even put advertisements like above urinals. It's like, I'm having private time. You got to put an ad in front of this thing. Like I, I just, there's a book that just got released. A guy named Tim Wu just released a book. It's called The Attention Merchants. Just, just on the market, just in the last six months, a year. And in his book, Tim Wu argues that the most uh, valuable commodity and the newest commodity on the market now is your attention. People are vying for, corporations are vying for, trying to purchase your attention. Even your attention is being monetized. We live in a culture of commodity. So the kingdom of the world says all things are a commodity to be possessed. And the kingdom of God says all things are a gift to be stewarded. We have been blessed to bless others, period. Period. We have been blessed to bless others. And this radical shift in worldview compelled the church to be radically and sacrificially generous. Here's the second thing I think that motivated them. It comes from the very same passage where they're talking about sacrificial generosity. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, so those who received his word, this is Peter preaching, were baptized, and there were added to that day, that, that day about 3,000 souls. So listen, 3,000 people with names and stories and brokenness and pasts and baggage and junk, 3,000 of them that day found healing and hope like they had never known before in Jesus. And they began to follow Jesus. And the next verse says, day by day, meeting together in the temple courts, they ate their food with glad and generous hearts. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. All people were filled with awe. The apostles are doing miraculous works. And looks what, look what happened. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. You see, when we get radically generous, when we get sacrificially generous, it causes us to ask this question. What could God do? What could God do? Because he changed the world already once because of his radical generosity in his son. He kept changing the world through the radical and sacrificial generosity of the early church. He's done it a number of times since then. And men and women of God understand God can change our world in a heartbeat when we get radically generous. When we start to say things like, you know what, I don't need that new mm. I don't need to drive that. I don't need to redo that room at the cottage. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know what? I'm just going to sacrifice that. I don't need a venti or a third venti for the day. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I, you know, I don't need that stuff. I'm just going to get radically generous. What could God do? Could God add to our number day by day when we start to 
give of ourselves, when we make the move from consumption to contribution, when we start to say, I am going to sacrifice what I want, need, think, feel in order to serve and give away and be generous with all that God has given to me. Here's the thing. I want to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that we have over the next couple of months to be radically generous with what God has entrusted to us. I want to give you some opportunities to do that, but listen really, really closely because this is so critical. What God is offering us here is a glorious exchange. He's offering us an opportunity to exchange things that are temporary, to exchange things that moths will eat and rust will destroy, to exchange things that you cannot take with you, and to trade them in for something eternal to trade them in for something that will last. And and here's the thing. I don't ever, 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 ever want you to feel like you need to give anything. And I know everybody's like, they get itchy when the pastor talks about money. I don't have any problem with it. I really don't. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul said to the church in Philippi, this is one of my favorite verses, by the way, I'm not looking for a gift, I'm just looking for what might be credited to your heavenly account. (laughs) Here's what Paul's saying to the church. It's not about duty, it's not about obligation, it's not about fear, guilt, and manipulation. God is doing a great work. You want some, come get some. Come get some. Like, I'm not gonna wrap a victim narrative around this thing, and oh, like I said, if you don't serve, you don't give. If you don't give your time, energy, resources, Like, that's not God. Never been God. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. What he does is he offers us an opportunity to engage with him, to join him in this great ministry of reconciliation, the redemption of all things, and trade in things that are going to pass away and going to be no more for something great and eternal. So come get some. God's doing something at this church. So we're going to talk about a little bit some opportunities that you can be generous with time, energy, resources, money over the next couple of months. Here's the first one. Uh, On January 22nd, uh, next year, 2017, we're going to go to three Sunday morning services in here. Uh, What we've been doing uh, the last few years is we've been growing, for those of you who've been paying attention. Uh, A few years ago, we had about uh, 400 adults, give or take, on a Sunday. A couple weeks ago, we had about 1,200 Um, so that's roughly three times if my math is right, four, eight, 12. Yep. Um, so what, what happens is the first service is, you know, it's pretty full on the bottom. We don't open the balcony. The second service, a lot of times we end up putting uh, chairs out in the balcony. Do we have chairs out this morning? No, no extra chairs. People at the Santa Claus parade, I guess, apparently. It's fine. It's fine. They missed out on the money talk. It's great. Um, So we're going to go to three Sunday morning services. One of the challenges here is that if you come in uh, a little late, especially as a family of four, it's really tough to find a seat in here. So we're going to go to three Sunday morning services at 9, 1030, and noon. So that means for some of you, you can be in here at church at 9, and then you can have an 11 o'clock tea time, which is great. Or for some of you, you can go to brunch and be here at noon, and then for the rest of us, we'll be in here at 1030. So what that means is that we would like to invite you to come serve with us, to minister with us, to partner with us, to join with us serving our kids, 
Children's ministry is not complicated on Sunday morning, by the way. They help you out. They give you a bunch of M&Ms and like a taser so it's easy. Okay, two, th- two things. Three things, three things. One, that's not true. Not true. Number two, if there are elders in the service, I'm so sorry. Um, number three, I got a kid in there, all right? So I'm joking. I'm joking. They don't give you M&Ms. Um, so, <clears throat> but we need you. We need some people. And, and look, it's not about like, oh, please, 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 God really needs you. It's about us joining together to serve the next generation of the church. We need some people to serve on a worship team. People sing in the choir, if you can sing. We need people to serve on our production team. We, we, we have a need because we're growing as a church. We need to make the move from contribution or from consumption to contribution. Leading up to that, just so you know, uh, we're going to uh, finish our family table next week, and then we're going to move into our Christmas series. It's just called Christmas at Bayview Glen. It's going to be fun. I actually talked to the guy this morning. He's the vice president of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. He's, he uh, attends church here. He's playing cello on the 18th in here in the service. Uh, we've got piano and strings and choir and all kinds of fun stuff. Kind of a simple Christmas here at Bayview. We're really excited about that. We're going to meet on the 4th, 11th, 18th, and then Christmas Eve at 5, 6, 30, and 8. Don't write all this stuff down. I'll send it in to you in an email. We'll talk about it more and more. Then on the 25th, Christmas Day and New Year's Day, this only happens a few times, like once every six years or something like that. Christmas Day and New Year's Day are both Sundays. We're not going to meet in here on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. I know you're going to miss me, and it's going to be, I'm, I know, I know, I'm sad, you're sad, let's get over it. What, what, what I want to tell you is that our staff works really, really hard. And when it comes to January 22nd, they're going to have to work even harder when we go to three Sunday morning services. So I want to give them a little bit of a break. Is that okay with you? We all right with that? Good, okay. Yeah, clap, please. I know that you'll miss us, and that'll be great, okay? But what we are going to do is we're going to provide you with some devotional material, some, some hard copy stuff, some video stuff, so you can gather with your family or as an individual or gather with your friends or gather with your life group in order to do a kind of a time of worship on both Christmas Day and New Year's Day, those Sundays. Uh, January 8th, we're doing a baptism service in here. We've got about 15 people signed up to be baptized on January 8th already. Uh, yeah, that's great. One of those individuals actually came to Jesus uh, about a year and a half ago here at Bayview Glen during a yes moment in the early service, the 915 service. Uh, She had never really heard of God or Jesus before, came here and heard about his grace and heard about his mercy, said yes to Jesus, went home and got her husband and kids and said, you got to come back for the second service. You got to hear this. And she's getting baptized on January 8th. And we've got a lot more folks. Yeah, we're adding all the time. Uh, on January 14, 15, 16, uh, the Greater Toronto Spiritual Life Convention will be here at Bayview Glen Church. I'm speaking. A guy named Bruxy Cavey from the Meeting House, great guy, is speaking. A guy named Eugene Cho is coming in from the States to speak. Andy Cherry is leading worship one night. Shane and Shane are leading worship one night, if you know Shane and Shane, uh, if you know Christian music at all. And then the Toronto Mass Choir is going to be leading worship one, t- uh, one night. It's going to be a great celebration that weekend, kind of reinvigorate you and revitalize you spiritually for the coming year. Uh, Shane and Shane will be here with us that Sunday morning, the 15th. And then on the 22nd, we're going to go to three services. We have some needs going forward as a church because what we're looking to do in the fall, hopefully, this is kind of a dream and it's out there on the horizon, is possibly start what's called a video venue. 
We've talked about this from a congregational forum perspective, and we've got categorically and overwhelmingly positive response uh, about a video venue. Basically, here's how a video venue works. We would take a pastor and a worship leader, and we would plant them in an area of the GTA that doesn't already have a church that's really accessible, and we would pipe the preaching in via video. And I realize that what you know, the world needs You know, the world doesn't need any more of me. I get that. But it's an opportunity for us to leverage technology and put churches where there aren't churches and to remove hurdles from people. One of the things we're looking at doing, too, is providing live translation services. We're working on that into Mandarin, Cantonese, other languages. And we can put those into a video venue day one if we can, you know, kind of move on that technology. And so there's an opportunity even then to give sacrificially and to give generously towards those projects. Uh, Christmas Eve, uh, as we've done the last couple of years, we're going to give our whole offering away. We're going to receive an offering Christmas Eve, and we're going to give it to three local organizations that are doing the redemptive work of God in the greater Toronto area, some faith-based, some not faith-based. So come on Christmas Eve ready to give generously. Step up and serve. And here's the exhortation this morning. Make the move from consumer to contributor. That's it. Make the move from consumer to contributor. I'm going to give you 25 ways to do it here in about two seconds. I'm not kidding, 25. And I'm almost done, I promise. But here's the thing. There's a lot of things in your Christian life that it will take you a lifetime to fix. It will take you a lifetime to grow in. It will take you a lifetime, and you won't even get it fixed until the other side of glory. When Jesus gives you a new body, and he takes all sin away. But this one right here, this move from consumer to contributor, this can happen right now in a heartbeat. In an instant, you can make the choice, I am no longer going to see this thing as a buffet. I'm going to see it as a potluck, and I am going to give generously of all that God has given to me. Because I see him doing things in our church. Because I've asked that question, what could God do? And he's already doing it here. 25 quick ways to make the move from consumer to contributor. Here we go. Be a greeter. Wear a name tag and shake people's hands. And it's a contribution here. Be an usher. Be a deacon. If you can care for people, if you can model the the, the character of Christ, and if you can support the ministry of the pastors and elders here, you can be a deacon. Come talk to me. I'll get you hooked up with them. Be a deacon. Contribute that way. Serve in the children's ministry. Take care of my kids. She's easy. Sing in the choir if you can sing. If you can't, take care of my kid. Um, (laughs) You and your family as an individual or as a family, start a regular giving plan with Easy Give. Just pop online. It's really easy. Just hit give, and you can start a regular giving plan. Make a generous, sacrificial end-of-the-year gift. I know many of you look to make uh, gifts at the end of the year. Make an end-of-the-year gift to Bayview Glen Church. Uh, Serve in ESL on Mondays and Thursdays. Our English as a Second Language ministry has more registrants now than it's ever had before this time of the year. I mean, it's growing like crazy. We're trying to find space for those guys, and we need people to step up and serve and have conversations and make a contribution there. Serve at Toronto Alliance Church. We do that on the last Saturday, or the fifth Saturday of the month. Anytime there are five Saturdays, we serve at Toronto Alliance Church. Be a contributor. Get on the Connect team. Come prepared to give on Christmas Eve. Bring some people with you. Serve on our creative teams. Join a life group. The mission of life groups is to receive life from God, share life with one another, and bring life to the community. Get in a life group and bring life to our community. Be a contributor. Pray for an international worker. 
You want to get real crazy? Uh, be a youth leader. That's nutso. Hang out with junior high boys all the time. It's a huge contribution. Very sacrificial. Play on the worship team. That's 24. Here's the 25th. You find your way to contribute. You find your way. God has given you something unique, something different. There's nobody on the planet like you. God has made you unique. You find your way to contribute. We've got a gal in our congregation that has um, some nerve damage in her arms. Actually, for a couple of years, she was totally debilitated, couldn't cook, clean, play her instrument. She couldn't do anything. And she's done a lot of rehab to kind of grow back from that. And we shared her story here one time on a Sunday morning, and we had another gal in our congregation step up and say, you know what? I'm a Pilates instructor, and I have a lot of clients, and I've had a lot of clients in the past that have the same nerve disease that you do. I can help you. I can help restore you. I can help rehab you. And that individual with nerve damage tells me all the time how her arms are getting stronger and she's developing and she's able to play her instrument. I actually listened to her play her instrument this week at a prayer retreat I was at. She's growing all the time. So it may be money God is asking you to give sacrificially. Probably is. Maybe time. It probably is. It may be your skill in Pilates. But he's given you something And you have been blessed with whatever that thing is so that you can bless others. Let's pray. So God, in this moment, would you impress upon hearts not if you're calling us to be sacrificial contributors, not if, but where and how. Because we know that you are. We know that you own all things. We know that you have blessed us sacrificially. You have given generously. You've called us to give generously to others. We know. So God, impress upon our hearts. Call us, remind us, move us, compel us to take that step today and make that move from consumer to contributor. Like a potluck, God, call us to bring a dish to share, to bring our best, to contribute to this body of believers. Move us, oh God. Move people in this room to move from consumer to contributor. And for those who are already contributing, to take that next step, that next step. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. Hey, we're going to close in song, so let's stand and sing together.